Hello, welcome to episode three of the Exposition Break podcast, your home for video game news, critiques, and industry analysis. I'm Blake Foley. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Sean Gandert. How are you today, Sean? Doing all right. That's good. That's good. Uh, Today, we are sitting down to talk about Mass Effect. But first, before we dive into that, I wanted to take a moment to just check in, uh, see how things are going in other games that we're playing. Um, I believe you're still playing Zelda Breath of the Wild. How is that going for you? uh it's going good i'm kind of uh i'm at the very end game and it's been a a matter of deciding how much more to keep playing and i'm also i find you know i'm I'm a person who has beaten a lot of zelda games in the past with 20 heart pieces and just going going very all out breath of the wild has so much where if i want to do that it's like I don't know, but every time I start thinking about finishing, I'm in the middle of like um, doing a final edit on my next book, and I find it very, uh, I've been finding it very stressful versus uh, Zelda is kind of, the exploring is kind of therapeutic and kind of kind of nice, the lack of story, the lack of having really paying attention, so at the moment I just, I get another day goes, should I finish it? I'm like, Nah, go see if I can find another shrine. No, I, I agree. I think I played it during a similar time in my life when I was playing it. Yeah, I was dealing with a rough boss and all kinds of you know issues. So it was kind of a nice thing to be able to escape into that. I imagine you're probably playing mostly docked, if not entirely docked, but I did find it real nice to be able to just kind of grab the tablet and just kind of mess with it wherever I was in the house at the time. I have a super complicated cat situation with bringing in new cats, one of whom has to be sick and such. So I lately I've been playing a little bit more off the dock simply because um, I need to come into here and give, and even if I'm not giving attention, they need someone about and I need to be watching them. So so I'll, I'll just pick it up and wander into here and play with them for an hour instead of being stuck in the other room. So that's actually been very nice. I liked it. That's cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, it's it's just been, it's such a good game. I mean, I've got complicated feelings that we'll address in another episode. I am absolutely positive. And, you know, I'm excited to talk about that one as you your time wraps down with it. And maybe at some point I'll revisit that DLC too that I had such a hard time enjoying. But maybe I was just, maybe I played too much before I jumped into that. So We'll see about that. Um, in my world, I've been playing some uh, Mario Tennis that came out, and that game is really, really good, but it's definitely Mario Tennis. Um, people expecting to play like a deep RPG that also happens to be a tennis game um, will be disappointed. I think there were a lot of people that were disappointed in that regard, but if you're looking for a solid kind of arcade tennis game, uh, Mario Tennis is really good for that. It's also really hard. I yeah, it's it's a weird thing. I didn't know that anyone really wanted a like RPG tennis. I think Golf Story, the release of Golf Story on the Switch, made people go, you know what? Every sports game should be an RPG. And then they put out that ad, and uh, people went nuts. This is going to be Nintendo's Golf Story, but like in 3D, where I can use Waluigi as a tennis racket. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the uh, GBA ones, I think, had some more RPG-like elements. So I think they were just hoping this would be kind of like everything that 
Mario Tennis had ever done. And I think you're absolutely right. The golf story kind of captured people's attention in that way, too. I mean, that does seem like a cool thing to have, you know, something like that. But on the other hand, what I've got isn't at all disappointing. Um, and I, I've tried playing online a little bit. That has been a challenge. People are already really, really, really good at that game. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I've got some learning to do. There's some important like shot counters and stuff like that, that I barely know the basics of about, you know, when to use a top spin hit against a slice, et cetera, et cetera. But I am having a lot of fun with it and I'm excited to keep playing it. Um, they're doing this neat thing. I mean, neat, I guess. Uh, they incentivize you to at least dive into um, online tournaments each month by giving you early access to new characters if you play at least one tournament match in the month of July, the month of August, the month of September. And that's been kind of a fun thing. I like that that I like making online factor back into your game as a whole. And that's just kind of even if it maybe gates off content that's already done. I still I like having the excuse to at least hop in and try it sounds really i think we talked about this a little bit offline but um or online but not audio whatever um <laughs> uh but it sounds like it didn't deliver what people wanted it to but it did a great job of delivering what they tried to do which tends to be how nintendo particularly this generation uh does everything yeah Absolutely. And I think my one my one complaint about Mario Tennis is kind of a consistent Nintendo one that they've gotten away from in some cases, like Mario Odyssey, like Breath of the Wild. But parts of that game are just slow and not not the gameplay or anything like that. But it's the OK, you finished a set. Now we're going to jump through a few lines of dialogue from Toad. Now we're going to show a replay that mm. doesn't skip right away. Now, you know, just getting into the action can be slow. And that's been a consistent Nintendo problem over the years for me. I wish it was just a bit snappier. So I'm I have in my head having not played it. Is it slow, like Splatoon level slow or like less or more than that? I feel like that's that's kind of the breaking point to me where it, <laughs> it act splatoon start because it has a whole bunch of dialogue and then you have to go to a lobby then you have to go find a thing is so slow that it actively makes you not want to play the game i will say like 10 minutes splatoon better or sorry splatoon 2 was better about that so i'd say it's definitely better than splatoon 1 on the wii u um, and I think it's still better than Splatoon 2 on the Switch. It's it's definitely not... Everything is just a beat too long, not a, you know, full dialogue tree too long. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's still annoying. And you know, one of the things I like best about Breath of the Wild is... Um, but particularly because I, I tend to not turn my Switch off, I just go to sleep mode, is that whenever I do want to play it, I'm playing it. Like mm -hmm. instantly there's there's no going through loading screens there's no um it's just oh i guess i happen to be on this mountain when i stopped sweet and uh yeah i really that's... can't imagine playing that game on a wii u like oh i feel like God. it would be such a different game just because of that i i think i recall you saying that you played a little bit of mario I played, odyssey um so my brother was in town uh is it last weekend, the weekend before, I don't know. Uh, some point in life, uh, I guess it must have been last weekend. Uh, um, 
and uh, he just kind of wanted to check stuff out. Particularly, he has a lot more fondness for Mario than Zelda. So he wanted to check out Mario Odyssey. He played a lot. And then eventually he was like, uh, why don't you play? Because I keep dying to Goombas. And <laughs> uh, I played more. I have to play a bunch more. It is weird to me that I liked it less than I like an equivalent amount of what I've played from Mario Galaxy. But mm. I I need to check it out more. Uh, yeah. I think they're very different games and will cater to different things. Like I, you, you know me, you've you've given me crap over time for not liking Mario Galaxy. I think of one of the so good in the world. Yeah, I'm sure. I believe you. I don't like it, <laughs> um, and I can't pinpoint. There's nothing bad about it that I can look and go, "That's bad." It's just I don't like it. But I really liked Mario Odyssey. So in some yeah, ways, I'm curious once you get further. I almost think. Uh... Having been playing a lot of shrines in Breath of the Wild, Mario Galaxy is kind of like, what if a hundred Mario shrines in a row? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I I love that, and the, like the actual shrine stuff is a lot of my favorite content in Breath of the Wild. I'm so disappointed every time I hit one that's like a combat trial because I'm like, oh, who cares? Uh, when I'm actually looking for like, um, you know some weird weird puzzle where i have to turn a thing into stasis and then turn the water into ice and then jump over here and then fly across that's fun i love that so Mm -hmm. then there's one other thing i played and i will talk only very very briefly which is i wanted to show my brother pt because i have a lot of interest in seeing how people react to that game if they have no context Mm -hmm. Um, don't do that with someone who doesn't play games (laughs) were there some issues yeah you forget how difficult 3d navigation is because we've been doing it for ever you know like and and you we we also like we grew up during the heyday of 3d becoming norm so you got your training wheels version with golden eye and then you're kind of or even like even Doom, I remember playing Doom, Turok, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you have these training wheels versions, and then eventually you get to get towards more modern things. And by then, you're very used to three um, D. But my brother never played even like Mario sixty four back in the day. He it's just not stuff that he uh, uh, stuff that he witnessed. And so I I handed him the controller for PT spent the first five minutes just walking against the back wall trying to figure out how to navigate his view towards the, the first door mm-hmm. and i mean it, it it doesn't work with that we i think it's still kind of an interesting experience because he, he was enjoying ultimately the randomized elements are really interesting and going through walking down the hallway and being like what's going on over there is cool but it's much less exciting when he goes what's over there and then it takes him 45 seconds to navigate so we can see what's over there um Mm -hmm. i wonder if that's a thing vr will help with over time you know as much as i'm not much of a fan of it as far as like the future of games i think it is more accessible because parts of it are a little more natural i wonder if that was a vr experience if it would have been a little easier for him to hop into maybe i i have no idea sorry about the uh, cat noises in the background but uh, no, that's all right but yeah right. i was just wrestling with one <laughs> i 
my my past experiences with VR have never been great, but they're all also very old. You know, I remember going to old arcades and they have VR stuff that was eh. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe that would work better. And it's just odd to be like even a walking simulator is too much 3D from the get go. And yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I'll be interested. It's something I, I don't think about very much. It's just that that part of control scheme. Uh, but my last thought would be like he looked like me trying to navigate in Star Fox Zero, and uh, we're constantly going the wrong direction no matter what he did. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 not pretty, and you just kind of want it to end. So. That was the other other yeah. thing I, I played. I, I thought I might have a cool story about that, but instead it was like, eh. I mean, it's a good reminder. Like, you know, my wife who even plays games still doesn't play much for first-person shooters. I think the last first-person shooter I had her play a little bit of was Halo Reach. And I found a way to make that work, um, which was we jumped into the horde mode of that game. I think it was Reach that had the horde mode. And... I made her invincible, gave her a rocket launcher and just set her (laughs) loose. And that worked well enough. (laughs) You know, like the nice thing about doing it that way was she didn't require any precision. So she could just kind of learn as she jumped around, but still like third, she's just kind of starting to dabble in third person shooters. Like uh, recently she finished mass effect Andromeda. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of her first dive into that sort of game. And that was a good learning experience, but I still imagine even though the controls are very, very similar, if we dropped her into a first person shooter, I bet it would feel completely different to her, which I find pretty fascinating. Yeah. I was, I was thinking, uh, quite a while ago, a year ago, something uh at my bachelor party when you brought the switch and we were playing breath of the wild and we all had fun because everyone Mm -hmm. and those are people who don't play often but they stayed even playing like what one game a year just kind of stay up with how it works and kind of it's it's like riding a bicycle but man teaching someone to ride a bicycle sucks (laughs) very true very true so that, um, there's there's my whole PT anecdote and uh... cool, yeah. I mean, I still we still need to do something on PT some t- someday. I need to replay it, and I think it'd be cool to record an episode at some point on PT. Yeah, ultimately, if we do that, I want to. That's something we have to video capture. Like we have to actually yeah. capture your whole thing. Uh, so that would be that would be fun. But uh, I especially think even though you've played it once and i'm a lot more familiar with it so i think mm-hmm. it would it'd be a thing to play in your house and you know i made my brother wait until it was very dark out turn out all the lights uh, <laughs> yeah it, it needs ambiance that's what i'm saying yes so. absolutely uh another thing i've been playing but don't have much to say on right now i really like it but i've been playing hollow knight on the switch which is a metroidvania um i'd probably have more to say if i wasn't stuck Currently, I don't know where to go. So you sound like more me playing later. Metrovania, which is a genre I really love, but I rarely ever have a like entirely very smooth experience. Even on ones that people think are like easier, I'll end up in some mm-hmm. like um, 
just can't figure it out. Screw around for an hour. Uh, eventually, I'll look up just how to get past that one challenge because I, and usually it's not even like a new thing I'm missing. It's like, oh, I forgot that I had a skill that you have from the beginning of the game. I just hadn't used <laughs> it in six hours. Mm-hmm. And in Metroidvania, it's particularly hard to look up where you are. Um, when I was playing Axiom Verge, I got stuck, and it probably took me an hour to find the right walkthrough point that <laughs> was where I was stuck. Mm. So Hollow Knight's really cool, though. Its art direction's kind of interesting. It's definitely fairly heavily inspired by the Souls series, except for you're a little beetle bug thing that is exploring like ancient bug cities, and your weapon is a nail. It's all kind of weirdly cute, but also extremely dark. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. It tells its story kind of in a soul's fashion. Everything is very kind of sparsely told. Um, you come across people that don't have a ton to say, and it can be kind of cryptic, but also not necessary. Like their cryptic talking isn't, isn't vital to anything. It's just very much world building and it makes for a kind of a neat experience. So I'm excited to get further into that. Okay. And then, so I guess we can move right on to our main topic from there, unless you have any other games you want to talk about. That's it. I'm ready to jump into uh, Mass Effect, the trilogy. (laughs) Awesome. You finished the trilogy fairly recently. I think you finished three about a month ago, maybe a little longer ago. I think you finishing that was one of our bigger inspirations for wanting to launch this podcast so that we could kind of get a bit more discussion on the series i've been i started the series back when mass effect one came out when i was in college um i've got some like i've got a weird soft spot for the first game i've played that game probably three or four times not recently but um i do remember i played through that entire game um my for my second playthrough i had gotten in a car accident and uh was laid up in bed for a couple days so i spent a lot of time playing mass effect one and it's it's probably it's one of my favorite games but hardly flawless i i remember uh one of my roommates playing it senior year of college and um i don't know uh i remember navigating i think it was senior year but it, it might have been anyhow uh, I remember navigating around with the uh, the terrible, terrible, what is it called? I think you, you remember. The Mako? The, yeah, the Mako. Don't uh, talk shit about the Mako, man. <laughs> I, I think I don't, I, I, best vehicle in video games. <laughs> and I'm only saying that slightly snarkily. <laughs> I, I, I actually really it. like the Mako. <laughs> that, thing, that thing drives like... If you if you attach like a frog to a snail, that's how that drives. <laughs> it, it's real hoppy, and, but like it, it it turns on whatever the opposite of a dime is. You just mm-hmm. cannot make that thing go where you want. And I there is a lot of that game, uh, both in missions and uh, just kind of wandering. There's a lot of the that game that uses the Mako, and it just mm-hmm. never felt to me that they like spent more than one hour and then we're like i guess it's done and people would have been like you sure we could tighten up and they're like gotta push this game out did the mako are you sure you did the mako Mm -hmm. yeah we're we're sure look it it moves forward it moves (laughs) moves. forward. yeah to me it always felt like 
it's one of the like least video game vehicles I've ever played because it's not forgiving in a way that like even playing Gran Turismo driving a car, that thing is like that feels more video gamey to me than the Mako. The Mako feels to me like a weirdly tangible thing because it controls like garbage in a way that a weird space tank probably would but um but, but would <laughs> it though like we're in a soup so let's talk a little bit about what mass effect is because when you say space tank so mass effect we're talking about uh the overall concept is uh we're humans in the future uh make contact with these super intelligent alien races through uh finding alien technology that allows for faster than light transportation uh mass effect stuff whatever um but Mm -hmm. part of that is um essentially we're in star wars but Mm -hmm. uh in star wars bioware lost the star wars star wars license so they made mass effect well i mean i mean there's definitely a lot of that there's definitely more than a little bit uh i think honestly it might have began as that uh as you know we're reskinning star wars but i think they also wanted to own their own um license because bioware at that point in time had had one game that was not a licensed property and that game did not do well it did fine but not well uh, jade empire so they were looking to do the dream for um any kind of small game developer this is before they were bought by ea and they wanted to actually own their own property uh you previously they're best known for baldur's gate and uh the star wars knights of the old republic but both of these were obviously licensed so they took a lot of the star wars tropes and they did something to them honestly it's a little bit shinier than star wars but it's not that much shinier than their kotor which is kind of a weird thing it's kind of the level of shininess that you'd almost see in the prequels it lands somewhere to me between star wars and star trek and that's something i was kind of liked about it is kind of had the slightly grungier feeling of a lot of star wars but also was the alien races and the world building felt more built out like a star trek would be in that you know the races had full backgrounds and stuff that were included in the fiction of the game not necessarily in some expanded universe novel that wasn't really conceived until 10 years after that race was created for the movie I think that's a very good point. So one of the things, uh, so humans land on this main stage with all the other aliens, and they are not the top dogs, which is very different from Star Wars. So there are three alien races that make up the council, and then there's like half a dozen other alien races that at least have their own agenda. They have their own, they've all been out here for at least you know hundreds, if not thousands or tens of thousands of years and we're the new people no one really respects and Mm -hmm. that's a good premise like that is a better there's something a little bit nice about having star wars where humans make sense there's the earth that they came from there isn't just kind of uh humans in space in the past for some reason that doesn't really work instead it's like no no (laughs) there's the earth um we came here there's a direct history all of Everything you know have happened, this is just uh, literally in the future. And the other aliens don't really care much for us. And nope. 
all and, like, of that they, is they got strong. there by finding a thing and using the thing. I mean, they had to make some technological advancements to use the Mass Effect relay, but it still wasn't wholly their achievement to get to the Citadel. Yeah, it's a little bit like in. I always think of Mass Effect relays as a little bit like the uh, obelisks in 2001. There's this alien technology you find and you use. You don't really know what's happening. You know, you're not mm-hmm. the people in control. And that not being in control is a lot of what makes the first game so interesting. The way the world the world isn't centered on you it kind of swirls around you and in that mm-hmm. way it feels to me again uh there's obviously a lot of kotor stuff going on in here but it feels a lot more like uh early baldur's gate stuff where you're just kind of um you're kind of hanging out uh doing your own thing and there's no reason for anyone to give you more respect than other people so you you immediately get a crew and you're kind of cool you have a history doing stuff that you can decide on your own but overall people in the first game do not like you Mm -hmm. and it's 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 fun yeah no i mean the mass effect one i've been thinking about it a lot and is my favorite of the three it's not the best game of the three which i'd say is two but mass effect one for the reasons you just said for the fact that you know it's not you're not you know the you're not jesus yet you will be but you know you're just a dude like you said everything is swirling around you it's not the i'm the big savior that's going to come in and help all these people it's like no we've got this shit who are you what are you doing we don't trust you here you want to be a space cop go prove yourself you know that kind of thing oh you ran into these problems we don't believe you you know like the the amount that Shepard has to go through in that first game is unlike a lot of modern games and that's I think what really makes it stand out and I think that's something you know reflecting on it now and what we can maybe touch on this later is Mass Effect Andromeda is what I mean that game kind of forgets what in my opinion made Mass Effect great by making you Columbus essentially you're on this arc heading off into another galaxy to you know start a new colony and you're a human and suddenly you're top of the food chain again i'm like well this isn't very interesting at this point yeah i think one of the particularly for rpgs uh being the top of the food chain is pretty much the least interesting uh story trope that there can be and um at a certain point in time bioware kind of used to know that (laughs) i i feel like um again the the first baldur's gate and like by the end of baldur's gate 2 you are super jesus but that's Mm -hmm. okay because it took you 150 hours to get there and um in mass effect it is cool to feel that um by the time they by the time people respect you you feel like you've earned respect that's great mm-hmm. that's a, that's a good thing and that's a way of it's almost like a story based um way of showing uh a sort of differentiation that the, the game i want to bring into another topic doesn't necessarily do that much for gameplay so how would you describe the gameplay for mass effect because 
when I mentioned KOTOR, <laughs> that, that's immediately where we, we want to jump, I think. So, I mean, the gameplay, I will say the biggest leap is between Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2. So you almost need to talk about Mass Effect 1 on its own terms. And in Mass Effect 1, the gameplay is just very much there, is kind of the best I can say <laughs> about it. Um, it's, it's a third-person shooter. It lacks all impact i'll say nothing feels like anything's interacting with one another it still feels very much like kotor in a very weird way so if you play kotor knights of the old republic star wars um for those that don't know the acronym you know your your characters are swinging lightsabers at each other but it never feels like they're actually fighting one another like the swings kind of pass through one another and bounce off in ways that's like these are two puppets just kind of whacking against each other and maybe that even gives it too much credit for how kinetic it can feel and in mass effect we're even though you're in direct control of your shots and it's not just dice rolls over and over again it still feels like there's a big disconnect between you pulling the trigger and you doing damage to an enemy and i think that carries out throughout the entire game you're still hopping in cover you're still using powers but even like the delay between using your force push to knock an enemy over just still feels like the game is taking the reins in a weird way. I, I don't know how to put it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, one of the shooters we've played a fair amount together, uh, Destiny is like a rife with a thousand weird problems, Destiny and Destiny 2, but it feels like you are running there and when you shoot a gun or you get hit by a bullet everything feels right there's a sort of physicality to whatever things uh everything feels like you can bump into things and it always feels well and, and that's a good bungee way of developing a shooter and this stands in direct contrast to that where um you are you have a lot of cool abilities but um for some reason, even when I had all these cool abilities, I never felt like um, I never had that much fun using them. And I think that's one of the strange things that uh, <laughs> defined the battle system for me is that um, I, eh, I didn't enjoy just running out there and, and having a fight. That was never something I, I just had fun with. Well, yeah, the the guns never felt great. And to your point about the powers, all, on paper, all the powers sound cool. You know, I've got a force push. I can make a guy float, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm mostly looking at adept powers because those were the, the class I played the most. But like, you know, it's, it's the game's equivalent to a Jedi. And none of it ever felt good and cool in a way. You never felt like a badass which kind of goes with that early story. Like I think they inadvertently stumbled into that kind of you're, you're not super cool yet. Storytelling that I do appreciate about that game doesn't mean I wouldn't like it to control better and feel better. That's an but, interesting yeah, point when, though, that, um, that part of why you don't feel like a badass. It's, it's, you know, it's always kind of the weird thing about why people say, um, survival horror shouldn't control great because that's scarier in this case if we want to remove the power fantasy then make having power not very fun <laughs> yep yep and so it's a weird thing and so that's a lot of our gameplay is this cover-based shooter with powers that um is 
functional, particularly in the first one. I, and uh, is there, I do want to talk uh, a little more about the Mako <laughs> since we did touch on the Mako. Like the, to to talk about to extend that gameplay conversation to the Mako, I think it ends up kind of feeling the same in weird ways. You know, to my point about the Mako feeling weirdly real and grounded. I think there's a good contrast. We can talk about it in Mass Effect 2. They introduce a new vehicle as part of the DLC for Mass Effect 2 that is like the counterpoint to the Mako. But the the thing about the Mako is it does feel weirdly... um, What's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of it right now. But it it doesn't feel like it belongs in the time frame of Mass Effect because it does feel weirdly primitive. It does feel like a tank we build and put on the moon today, or like um, a tank we put in put on the moon in the 1980s. <laughs> even like, <laughs> like we know like, how my favorite work. part about yeah, the thing I like about the Mako is just how how clumsy it can be. I like the fact that you know the the tank turret on the roof of it can't aim below a certain trajectory so you need to sometimes position yourself on a hill so that you can actually shoot turrets with it and some of the just the weird quirks of trying to navigate around that control scheme just made it interesting for me but i will never actually say it was good Uh, you know that's that's kind of that's a lot of the series actually there's there's a lot of memorable things and the big other thing that we haven't talked about about the whole series before I, before we get into a little bit of our other topics but is the companions which is actually i would say the biggest selling point for the series the big thing people will talk about it today when they're talking about memories of mass effect um i hear less about people being like i love the story but what i will hear is i loved uh or not rex or mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah the mako i love all krogans i i actually do uh, <laughs> uh you know i would say uh i had a lot of i the battle system bored me to tears but morden solace was one of the more complex characters i've seen in any game um mm-hmm. I, I think part of what makes the i think you're right. Mass Effect has some really great characters. I think of what makes their characters really good is the world building and how fleshed out the races of those characters are. They're not just weird archetypes. They they feel like a real weird race and the characters are well written into that. Yeah. So I think that so there's kind of a trope uh with a certain type of RPG partially because of these games. So um you have a different character uh, for each race who can be a com- companion in each game. You also have a char- uh, sometimes a human who can be a different type of the fighters. In case you're not that type, you can get a fighter. So trying to give you diversity of abilities, but also perspectives from the races. And I think the high point of that, as much as I, I really love Rex, and he's only a companion in the first game, um, the high point people will usually talk about is two, which has a bajillion companions, um, some of whom are interesting. That's there's my there's there's my praise. <laughs> I actually quite I thought that they did a better job in one, but people seem to love the companion work in two for reasons I'm not super clear about. I'd agree with you. I think people really liked the loyalty missions of two. 
um, which felt weird, extremely video gamey to me. So I'm not as big of a fan. I like the missions themselves, but the whole concept of the loyalty missions felt too much like a video game to me. But I did like the characters in one best. They felt less like video game characters to me. I think part of that was in two, they made a decision to get rid of like unique armor pieces and all that kind of stuff. So suddenly you had characters that just wore what their character looked like into battle that was, you know, made them more unique and all that kind of thing. And Miranda wore her, you know, white skin tight suit. And um, what's the punk rock lady's name? That was the adept. I can't think of it right now. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. She was. Yeah, she was always wearing her, you know, punk rock attire. You know, like it, it made it feel much more like these are video game char- characters to me. It gave them maybe. I think the intent was to give them a little more of a personal identity, but I think it did the opposite for me. I had a weird thing where I just actively disliked some of them. Um, Mm. There's Thane, who I just, like, hated. He was, like, some sort of assassin dude with, like, weird speech patterns, but he felt video gamey. a lot of them, and part of why Morden stood out was he was probably the only one who wasn't some, the only new character who didn't really feel like some sort of stereotype. And mm. uh, that was an issue that the first game didn't quite have to me. They felt a little bit yeah. more um, real. And partially, I think, as you said, the people love the loyalty missions and they tended to be really good missions. But the video gameiness mm. of being like you have to do it or they'll die, and yeah, um, it made them a slog instead of a joy. If if it's a if it's a thing you can just choose to do because you enjoy the character, then you're you feel happy and you're rewarded. But if it's a essentially a required thing, and that's something that the game really got into with two and three, which is saying, well, you don't have to do this, but you know if you don't everything's gonna suck mm-hmm. and that's about the least fun way of designing any sort of gameplay i can imagine yeah and there were like two itself had manufactured points even that like kind of forced you to interact in certain ways there i remember man i really can't think of that character's name right now and i it's bugging me but the uh the punk rock lady um you walk downstairs and she's having an argument with miranda and that's kind of one of those points where you need to choose the right di- dialogue choices. Otherwise, later in the game, one of those characters will die. Right. And that that sucks. So I think that that brings me to another of the big story selling points. And the thing, you know, we've been talking a bit about some of the characters and the choices. And this is the other thing that the game People always talk about it, and they talk about how great Bioware is this uh, about this, but um, choice and decisions and long-term, the way things you did now affect things in the future. And that's, I think, one of the main selling points for the entire trilogy is uh, the idea that a decision you make in game one will have ramifications all the way through the end of game three, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's that was one of the things people got into it for. Yep. So, did it? Did that work? <laughs> and this is one of the weird things is that um, 
most games I prefer telling a good linear story and dislike forced choices. And when you mentioned that thing between Jack and Miranda, ah, Jack, um, yeah, the uh, the punk punker chick. Um, this brings in, uh, was that a good choice? Was that a good way for video games to do this? No, I mean, I, I think that's one of the big problems with choice in video games in general. Um, I don't think many games, well, it's, well, it's one of the spaces that games can have above other mediums like movies or novels, unless it's a choose your own adventure book, but we won't get into that. Um, it should be one of the things that they do super well, and it's often not. I can I can think of very few RPG franchises that do handle choice well. And I think part of the issue with Mass Effect and even other Bioware games, um, Dragon Age included, is, well, there's multiple issues. One, they often exist kind of on a binary scale of good and evil or replace evil with renegade. You know, you're not bad, but you you don't play by the rules, and which, aka, you're a jerk, um, <laughs> is kind of what renegade seems to mean, and your face turns red and weird. But yeah. like, A, it falls on that. So choice is always kind of in these weird binary things. So you end up playing it like a video game at that point because oh this is a paragon run or oh this is a renegade run because if you try and play it down the middle you're actually hurting yourself as a player because of you're locking yourself out of certain choices later in the game because you didn't min max the system the other thing is the you know the choice between that argument between miranda and jack for example, I don't know if you remember that particular argument. I, I don't. It You okay. can tell me that it happened and I believe it because it's a very Mass Effect-y thing to do. Yeah, it's you walk downstairs and it's basically, depending on your choice, if you make the if you side, I don't remember what the argument's about, but it has to do with the fact that Miranda's the Barbie and Jack's the punk rock lady and we don't like each other. We're different sides, you know, this whole thing. And if you side, if I'm trying to remember this because it's been years, but if you side with Miranda, you don't get Jack's loyalty mission and she won't talk to you for the rest of the game. That sounds super fun. Yeah. Just lock out, just lock out um, people from large sections of the game for having particularly Mass Effect, I think is one of the most punishing games uh or trilogies whatever um for punishing people for role playing mm-hmm. which is crazy <laughs> yeah no exactly and it's just you end up playing especially in 2 which 2 is the best game of the 3 in my opinion but best game um there are so many things that you need to just kind of check off in that game that it rarely ends up feeling like an RPG because you want to go down the list they, their marketing told you that you know People are going to die on the end of the game unless you take care of everything you need to. So you end up going down the list. Did I do, you know, Miranda's loyalty mission? Did I make sure I went and talked to Miranda before the loyalty mission? Blah, blah, blah. Did it, oh, I accidentally cut off Jack's loyalty mission because I set, sided with Miranda during this argument. Better reload a save so that I can do this right this time and not lock myself out. There, There is a right way in w- a weird way to play Mass Effect 2. And I think that's a huge weakness for it. it it's 
I feel like there ends up being a right way to do a lot of the games and both from locking people out of content, keeping you, um, this is one of my least favorite Bioware things, but they tend to give ultimate weapons to people who go extreme in either direction. Um, they'll be like, oh no, no, you can totally play as evil. You can get the super good, super powerful evil weapon just as well as the super powerful good weapon. But Mm -hmm. it means you have to role play as, you know, Hitler. You don't role play as like an evil, you don't role player is even like Darth Vader. You have to go like full on um, killing everyone for no reason. And it's, it's a really weird, weird way of trying to tell a story. I, I, you know, there's a lot of writing in the trilogy overall, and some of the writing is even mm-hmm. good. Uh, some of the writing is legitimately interesting, and some of the choices, again, I, I bring up Morden because I think he's a really strange character and um, brings up ethical questions in an interesting way. I think he's, I think his dialogue and such is well written. Um, but through all of that, it, I don't think that it tells stories well as a video game. Yeah, I, I don't think that it, I don't think that um, it works, and it isn't something I would recommend to people to play uh, in order to get the epic story. So then I end up wondering because we also talked about how it doesn't work as a shooter. So why do I recommend it to people? Why Why would I be like this is something you should check out? I think for me, the answer to that is I still really like the world building. And that's Mm -hmm. like, I think I'd just as readily watch a well-made Mass Effect TV show as I would, you know, play Mass Effect. If that, that, that's kind of a tragedy in that way. Cause yeah, I think it does fail at those things, but I go back to the world building. I think they built a really good world with, mass effect i will say the for me the combat did get better and i started to have a lot more fun with it once mass effect 2 came along and once the powers started to feel more like a shooter the you know force push the pull the uh, i play as vanguard my first time through which meant i could do a weird like sprint across the map and shoulder charge people move and then shotgun them like they did some neat stuff with the combat in that game at that time that really helped carry it forward i think and there's stuff even that they did in that game that I wish Destiny would do today that they haven't. So it didn't get everything wrong as far as the gameplay goes, but I think when it got to the point where you just wanted to exper- experience more of that world, the gameplay did still kind of get in the way because it wasn't quite as focused as like a Gears of War was. I it's Yeah, it's weird like that. And I want to say, because um, I know that... I think you only played it once and versus the other ones, which you spent more time on mass effect three is even better with the gameplay. Um, it, it's two all over again, but every part of it is sharpened up a little bit. It's mm-hmm. they rebalanced the, like exactly how powerful everything, but um, it has more kinetic feel to whatever it is you're doing. It's uh, the weird thing about that is, 
that however while i could recognize that it was better at that point in time i'd played so much massive and i didn't play the trilogy like back to back i took always like six months to a year between them so we're mm-hmm. talking about like pretty large gaps um mm-hmm. but i still felt so burned out by like the midpoint of three that i didn't care and i put it on easy mode and i was like uh oh, this is kind of like i can totally see how these are interesting battles but i just i have done all these powers particularly if you want to um it's an interesting thing you said like i played this as vanguard instead i wanted to basically have the same character the whole way like use the same power like this is my thing um that's probably the least fun way to do it in the same way that like role playing the game is one of the least fun ways to play it and um doing it doing it as a consistent character doesn't work well Mm -hmm. which is which is such a strange thing to me um the third one so i want to talk a little bit about that because i think that partially because the first one's very interesting the second one is the one is kind of the fan favorite game the third one uh it has a weird reputation um people hated the ending so much that people will just say that it's a bad game. Um, <laughs> I would argue that in terms of gameplay, it's the best, but it it it's a weird game in... It has the worst uh, characters. It barely has companions, uh, mm-hmm. which is especially feels weird because if you... You know, I had the Trilogy Edition, which had some of the free downloadable content for two... I had like 12 companions. I had companions coming everywhere in two, and I couldn't get rid of them. There were too many. I, <laughs> I, I didn't want to do 12 companion missions and loyalty missions. But uh, just like three in Mass Effect 3. Yeah. And, and they're not great. They're not great at all. No. I think, I mean, to kind of circle around, one thing, and this isn't my description of it, I think this came from giant bomb quite a while back when three was coming out but the mass effect trilogy is shaped if you look at the storytelling is shaped like a diamond so you start with mass effect one and you're at one of the points of the diamond and the possibility space of your choices and all that kind of stuff is pretty narrow it's a much smaller scope because you're space cop chasing a criminal you know the the reach of what you're doing isn't anything too insane and that starts to grow throughout the game by the time you're at the middle of two the possibility space is at the widest point of that diamond where you've made so many decisions at that point that everything you know the the possibilities start to seem endless you're like oh i've i've affected this particular thing with the uh krogans you know the the uh, genophage I've done this stuff with Morden. Like, it seems like, man, all the places all of this could go are nuts. I've got all these characters that are in my crew that I've had all these interactions with. And then you get to Mass Effect 3 where they need to kind of button stuff up. And, uh, and they do. That game mm-hmm. uh, wraps a bow in every single plot from the series. It, it, yep. is, it is ruthless about it. Every single thing gets a definitive uh conclusion and uh they also tend to get a weird um what you did in the past with them barely matters 
Mm-hmm. It's weird for it all. Yeah, and it starts to feel, and I think that's part of why people hate three so much, is it starts to feel like a little bit, I mean, betrayal is a strong word, but it doesn't feel like it's fulfilling the promise. And I don't know how it could have in a realistic way. You know, it's it's a game made with a budget to give every choice you've made throughout that series the time it needs and deserves based on the scope of what the story they're trying to tell is an impossible feat. And I can see how we wound up with the Mass Effect 3 we did. Um, you can see it in the marketing that EA used around Mass Effect 3. They were trying to pull in new fans to the franchise with 3. And because they, they were trying to focus on, hey, this is a good shooter. You should play it as a shooter fan. Don't worry about the story. And you can it was just an unrealistic thing to try and make it about the story at that point. Yeah. I'm reminded one of the weird things about it was that mass effect three came out on the, um, the Wii U, but only three, like you could just, you could just start (laughs) and end with three there if you wanted to, and did not sell well. And they were shocked. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, and I, I think, I think the trilogy of mass effect made EA take a step back and go, Hey, we're not doing any planned giant, like franchise things like this again. I, I mean, I, I feel weird about that. I feel good about that and bad about that. What I love about, um, you know, one of these days in life, uh, we'll have the time to go back and uh, you can check out Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. But one of the great things about those games, and they each have expansions, is that each of the games, and the expansions are basically full-on games, they're like 40 hours each. Um, they take into account what you did before, but they are their own game like yeah they they tell and i think like maybe that's a thing we do when that time is here maybe i dive into Baldur's gate and you dive into the witcher (laughs) um oh man i i I, I think dive into the witcher yeah i think you know i'll I'll constantly it's it's not for this episode because then it just becomes here's how the witcher's better (laughs) in every way Uh, but um, Gate too and how uh, if it's a game where you mentioned the possibility space the possibility space in there is huge because of the flexibility of the game system and that's one of the things that mm. bioware originally was good at and no one else could really touch um one of the things you could do um if you wanted to become the head of the thieves guild in Baldur's gate 2 there are a lot of ways to do it you could become good at thieving and like sneaking great you could be a mage and you could mm-hmm. cast invisibility spells so you'd be good at sneaking so you did it that way great you could be a warrior and you could just kill everyone else in the guild until you're the only person and no one could tell you you weren't good at it great whatever approach you wanted to take you could figure out a way um see yeah i just need to i want to interrupt real quick and say you know i know you're not a fan of oblivion of elder scrolls oblivion mm-hmm. but those are the things in their own clunky way that makes the Elder Scrolls games great too. Yeah. And I, I became the head of the Mages Guild without with only knowing one spell. I think that that, is a, that can be a very, very cool thing. And, uh, you know, Oblivion, or sorry, the Elder Scrolls have a lot in common actually to me to some of what Mass Effect does, oddly. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the way the combat doesn't feel like you're there. 
Oh, very much so. I will agree 100%. But one of the things that feels that's Mass Effect is weird is there's a lot of theoretical choices and such. They feel very, very, very limiting by the time you're finished with them because all of the choices are done in dialogue. So it's always like I decided this way. Your gameplay is just to get to the next dialogue tree. And it's a, it, I feel like that's also one of the weird letdowns compared with um, a lot of other uh, other sort of games. Even I always feel like this is the best example we have of uh, choice being done really, really well in a similar sort of game, which is Alpha Protocol. And most of the choices are done in dialogue, but there are also things where you can choose to kill or stun a person and that's a big choice or you can go off and deal with them in another way and the gameplay itself is a decision and that's one of the reasons why people like dark souls so much i know everyone loves to use that as an example um and that's another game i, I played recently uh i'll talk about it in the future is uh um the writer will do something i played that with a friend in an airport um but talking about the example of Dark Souls is uh, all of your choices there are done through actual gameplay. And there's something very frictionless about the way uh, your Jack Miranda thing, you did, it didn't matter, it didn't have you like punching one of them. It had you saying something. And you could literally, uh, in Mass Effect 3, so I, I played each of the games on a declining difficulty, and some people will tell me that I'm, I'm a terrible person for this. I played the first one on normal, because I, I tend to do that for games. I played Mass Effect 2. I was getting tired of the combat. I played Mass Effect 2 on easy. It's like, eh, I, it's mm-hmm. a long game. I just want to go through. I'm not super thrilled with that. Uh, by Mass Effect 3, about like 10 hours into it, I changed it to like, I don't know what it's called. It's like semi-immortal mode. <laughs> I think it's just story mode or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably right. It's story mode. So I switched on to story mode. And, uh, um, you know, the down downside of story mode in that game is that you there is no story in the combat section. So it really a better version of story mode would just um just move from dialogue tree to dialogue tree right yeah basically make it for lack of better comparison like the walking dead or something like that mm-hmm. yeah and because of that it's a weird thing i yeah i really don't feel that the um more so than almost any other western game the dis- there's a huge disconnect between the two that, that all particularly felt at odds with being an RPG. And so like in a JRPG, that's fine. They're a different beast entirely, but within a Western RPG, you have a history of being able to do things, as you said, like in Elder Scrolls and trick your, trick your way into the top of the mage guild. You did that through mm-hmm. gameplay. You know? mm-hmm. I think I'm curious what you think. Um, I feel like as Mass Effect 3 came along that BioWare started to develop a new reputation. You know, their old reputation was for 
very deep, intense RPGs like Baldur's Gate. And I feel like they started to develop a different reputation as they rolled into Mass Effect 3, like with like romance subplots and all that kind of stuff, which became a staple. Right now, I just pulled up the back of the box for Mass Effect 3, and one of the biggest blocks of text on the back of the box is a pull quote from an IGN article that says bigger, more intense, and even sexier. <laughs> it's funny you say that Chris Avalon, uh, who's one of the better narrative designers in the history of the medium, has a thing where he actively tries for every single game he makes to to not allow them to do romance subplots. And he has failed many times. And he's he said that he will he will fail he will lose that fight in the future, but in his opinion, um, uh, there have been at least within like mainstream games exactly zero well done romance plots. I think the Witcher games do come the closest, and we can get into that another time. But yeah, I think you're right. Is like almost always romance is a video game mechanic and it's a reward. I'm not saying there can't be sex in games. That's perfectly fine. But the way they often treat it, it is just you're playing a video game to get a romance scene. And that always just ends up being weird to me. Yeah. I actually, I think of some of the alpha protocol ones and they're mostly just goofy and it works mm-hmm. because of that because it, it's kind of you know a james bond sort of thing and they're not really a romance they're just kind of a like oh the russian woman uh wants to have sex it's it's not a weird issue it's just eh. that's just a, a part of the story but you're not trying to create a real human connection with depth in that sort of way and uh, in video games it's it's such a such a issue i've seen people fail with it in so many different weird ways i think the persona way of failing at it might be my favorite um (laughs) i i always try to max out as many uh characters as i can in those and that often means to weird romances but also like with like six characters at once there was a what game was it now i'm actually forgetting trying to remember which game it was but there's a game recently that had oh it was uh stardew valley in one of the recent patches for stardew valley they made it so that if you romanced everybody in town they would actually confront you in the bar one night and i I love it (laughs) mm -hmm. yeah it was actually pretty great they actually put in a consequence for that that kind of made me happy but the backlash was kind of hilarious because there were a lot of people that were very mad about that and they're like, why do you got to put a moral compass on me? Blah, blah, blah. You know, like it was just kind of this weird, funny thing. And it extended beyond morality. If you were, you know, screwing around with that many people in a town, they'd probably get mad regardless of whether you're sex positive. There's uh, the game that I tend to think of for like doing a romance in an interesting way is Catherine. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say there aren't issues with Catherine. The weird transphobia at the end could just be cut there's no reason for it but um yeah uh regardless of that factor and you know there are other issues with it but Catherine, it is the entire game and there's something to be said for being like well if you're going to do a game that's actually about a relationship it has to be literally the entire experience if you're if you want to do anything with uh, any sort of complexity or realness 
and um you know i the the mass effect romances are they are almost in the tradition of the original star trek run where but you're you're william shatner and you know <laughs> my my I, pl- I played a played a femship and uh you know it just she doesn't make a good shatner it's it's just awkward and weird <laughs> It's the same way with the male shepherd, but I do love the moments and it also exists in dragon age where you pick a dialogue choice that seems pretty harmless. You're just being nice to a person and suddenly shepherd's just like, so how you doing? Yeah. Well, there's always like, like, uh, ask them about their day. Tell them, tell them they look tired. Uh, see how their family's doing. And you're like, okay, I'll see how their family's doing. And it's like, your family getting out of here soon because so we can do something we're like what where did that even even come from Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah Yeah. there's definitely a lot of inadvertently um, hitting on and you are the superior officer of your crew and you're just like if it moves I'll do it and uh, it's it's all sorts sorts of it's an icky thing. I ended up in in Mass Effect Three. You can sleep with your assistant. Yeah, I Yo. ended up doing a uh, being in a steady relationship with Liara from the first game through the third. But even so, every time I start a, a conversation with many characters, I'll start hitting on them, and I'll, and I have to be like, whoa, 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 slow down! I'm not trying to do this. I'm like. <laughs> I, I'm very fine with my Liara relationship. She seems like a sweet girl, but why? Why? Uh... Hmm. Yep. Yeah. No. Definitely. The relationship stuff has always just been kind of weird, and I think one of the things that has held the series back is, you know, yeah, the romance things. And I'd like to see games get better at that. I don't think I necessarily agree with Chris Avalon that it can't be done right, but I think it needs to be less of a gameplay mechanic and more just of a storytelling thing. Well, yeah, if it's a storytelling thing instead of a reward, but the Mass Effect system of every choice having like Renegade and Paragon and right and wrong makes it very difficult to do that. And I I think I... And this is the probably one of the final things before we start wrapping this down. We talked a little bit about the Renegade Paragon system, um, which is kind of their light side, dark side, everything. And I, I wanted to ask, how did this continue into further Bioware games? Because to me, they be, they became the worst offender in terms of morality systems, period, at the, at, around here. And this continued into Dragon Age and... Uh, but I haven't played the newer stuff. Um, I mean, it definitely exists in Andromeda and in a mostly untouched form. I think it's, you know, I haven't played Andromeda. I've watched a lot of Andromeda, so I can't speak with a whole lot of nuance on it, but it, it feels mostly similar. Uh, Dragon Age Inquisition feels a lot like Dragon Age in its own way. Like there isn't much nuance to the choices. They're typically kind of black and white issues. Um, so I don't think there's too much interesting to say on that, except for the fact that it, they've kind of mostly stayed the course. They haven't made big enough of 
of a big enough of advancements for me to take notice i'll say Hmm. yeah that's kind of it's a weird thing uh it seems like you you mentioned one of the lessons ea kind of learned was to not do a huge tell one story in three games probably a good Mm -hmm. good thing uh as much as I, I enjoy this being a unique experience for that reason, is there anything else that feels like they learned uh, from this or that that seems like a positive that they took away instead of a lot of their issues? Hmm. Um, positives. Trying to think about that one. Um, I mean, here, here's the like Dragon Age Inquisition is a good game. I like it. There were some things about it that I didn't care for. Um, and my wife who's playing it now has just run up against and was complaining to me about last night. I found it kind of funny that the timing of that. Um, but for the most part, I think they're making good games. Andromeda is hardly a bad game. It's just not the Mass Effect game people wanted. Um, I think it would have been cooler as a different franchise, maybe, maybe or something like that. Uh, I think the biggest question with EA and Bioware at this point will be answered with um, Anthem when that comes out, because no one still, re- no one really knows at this point what Anthem still is. We've seen more gameplay, we've seen trailers, but we don't know what makes it a Bioware game. Will the enemies way. have AI? Will they have AI? Will there be <laughs> romance options? These are the big <laughs> questions know? we still have. Can, can my mech suit romance another mech suit? I hope so. If so, I, I'm pre-ordering I really that game. <laughs> can, Might be a pre-order bonus. In the Xenoblade games, can your sword romance another sword? Ooh, I don't know. I need that. I may have to play more and get back to you on that. It seems possible. That's my big hope. It seems possible. So, I mean. At this point, the same sword might be able to romance the same sword in the way things are going. Who knows? Awesome. That, that, yep. Now that that's RPGs at their at their best. Yep. I think one topic we should at least briefly cover is the ending. Uh, um, okay. It was yep. ex- it was extremely controversial. People hated it at the time. What I played it when it came have? out. What what what, what uh, color? It's, it's like a. I think Kool Aid. I think I had blue. I think I had, I think blue. had blue. I'm not sure. I'm I had pretty red. sure I got the okay you had red wow well, I don't know how to well so that this is part of the ending no one talks about is they say you uh, make a dis- make a de- decision about what you want to do she doesn't say how to do that mm-hmm. so you're only able to slow walk and I didn't know how to trigger mm-hmm. anything one way or another eventually I started shooting around at random and that ended it as I hit the right thing with my gun and it blew up in red yeah that okay. that was my yeah my ending was like the least climactic thing i've ever had in a video game. yeah i think i ended up with the synthesis ending where we merged with the reapers and kind of became one i think it was the one that you the only one you could get um if you had your galactic galactic readiness at full mm. And I think, I think that's the one I got. I think that was the synthesis or whatever they called it. And I mean, the reality of it is, yeah, you're right. It's a color. Like they barely changed cutscenes at the end to show different things. Do you think the ending just on its own merits, you came to it far later, far removed from the hype of the game coming out and far removed from the 
massive backlash to the ending. You know, I, I can't really view that ending in a back in a vacuum. You knew about the backlash, but you're yeah. at least far enough removed from it. How did you feel about, do you think it was a satisfactory ending regardless of the colors in that sort of thing? No, I, I really wanted to come at it. Go, you know, I, I have a, I have a ability of decontextualizing things, not reading stuff about them for decades that my wife finds frightening. And, uh, I, I just very good (laughs) at not taking that sort of thing in. I wanted to take in the ending for what it would be, but ultimately, uh, and I'm not even concerned with the colors. I'm concerned with the fact that whatever you did, like Shepard, one of the fundamental things about an RPG, and this is why they tend to lead to power fantasies, is the idea that you, if your character didn't do things, the story would be bad, right? So like if, mm-hmm. if, if you didn't exist, uh, if in this game Commander Shepard isn't there, um then bad things would happen but the answer here is that if you never played the game the story would be the same and that's the least compelling story for any video game regardless even if it even if there is a more of a bad ending like i would be happy to have a very bad ending an okay ending a good end like however they want to do it but the fact of the matter is that if you take commander shepherd out of the story entirely it doesn't matter and that just feels awful mm-hmm. yeah so. it's it's that ending just was just there i mean that was kind of it it didn't feel like anything you did mattered at that point because it came down to just it it was the three buttons you know like and maybe if you didn't do everything one of the buttons was missing yeah but it, it like your actual choices didn't factor in very much at all. And that, that was disappointing. And like what happens in the end itself was them very much kind of closing the book on mass effect in a weird way, because it made it impossible for there really to be mass effect games after mass effect yep. three. And that was disappointing. And I think that's the biggest thing that hurts mass effect Andromeda mm-hmm. is it doesn't have any of the stuff that you come to like mass effect four because in three, they made it almost impossible for that to be the case. They, they made it impossible. I mean, they, they ended the universe. Um, they did it. I enjoyed the way they retconned the fact that they'd put in their lore that if mass effects blow up, it makes everything uninhabitable. And then that was pointed out to them and they retconned that in the second ending they released mm-hmm. um, which is yep. i just found hilarious but to, to yeah. me the big disappointment was not about them being identical it was simply about um i mean obviously that that's kind of hilarious in its own way but there's something about the way uh it kind of erases your experience in a way that very, very mm-hmm. few other game endings have ever done. Um, it's it almost is meta. Like you expected to say afterwards, why did you play this game in the first place? Go outside and take a walk. 
it's it's very very strange and and uh i there's so much this is a thing where i would love to know the entire story behind that ending like i can't imagine that was originally planned right i don't know the rumor that floats around is that people pre-release you know what during development guessed where things were headed um i don't know how true this actually is but the rumor is that fans figured out what mass effect 3 was going to be and how mass effect 3 was going to end and bioware then went back and rewrote it to have it be different which is a like the stupidest thing you can do and and Mm -hmm. this has been proven by many movies and and in the past uh but b why do you rewrite it badly like the ending felt like something particularly with it just being like three still shots like it felt amazingly tacked on and like something uh you brought in a guy at the last minute instead of a big budget production with like you know hundreds of people working on it it was it was a strange thing and uh it definitely um if anything it 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 points out even more so some of the fundamental issues with choice and gameplay in the in the game like which it could have tried to hide by say putting six endings all of which still only have three screens but like doing making them very different which wouldn't take that long to do they could at least give the appearance but it almost ended up a meta commentary about choice in games and like weird in that way i find the ending funny because before they released their extended cut of the ending there were fan theories floating around the the indoctrination theory where you know fans had come up with their own justification for the ending events of the game and it involved the idea that shepherd was fighting indoctrination from the reapers and it wasn't perfect but it was definitely more interesting than what bioware gave us in the end um i one thing i find kind of interesting about that not necessarily the theory itself but what it what it was trying to do in my opinion as people made it we're looking at the ending is the ending of mass effect as we have it even in its extended form is not about shepherd is not about the player what the indoctrination theory that fans came up with did was made it about your character it brought it back in in a way that mass effect one in my opinion is the best one because it's much more personal it's much smaller the scope of the events of three um are you know cataclysmic save the world all that kind of stuff so it hard it makes it real hard to even contextualize any of that and i thought it interesting that that fan theory brought it back and made it about commander shepherd and what they're dealing with in these events yeah, it's that's a cool that would have been a a cool thing for them to do <laughs> it, it's sad to go it's like mm-hmm. yeah that company should have done that but yeah yep yeah oh, and well. uh what might have been might have been and that's the weird thing i think that ends up being uh kind of the final thing for mass effect it's like um it ends up feeling a lot of a what might have been series as you said that possibility space from the first one uh versus the collapse by the end of the by the end of the third and 
uh, removal of all possibilities or even the like importance of the character. It's it's a it's a weird thing. It's almost I I guess I think of it as meta because that's the age you know of Bioshock and big budget games wanting to tell us how our choices were meaningless. Well, I guess Bioshock did that in a clumsy way in one game here we got that in uh, over a course of like 250 hours and three games mm-hmm. accidentally <laughs> because know. they had to change it because fans guessed the original fun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool anything else you'd like right. to add at this point i think i think that pretty much wraps it up for me i think i'm i think i'm good with mass effect i think i'm i i've I sold it off to Gamers Anonymous, and I, I think I'm ready to move on. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. I think uh, maybe in our next episode, we'll want to look at uh, Breath of the Wild next or something along those lines. I think so. A, a very a different game old. from Mass Effect. Only yes. a year old, so that's very <laughs> new for me. Very cool. Very cool. Well, that wraps us up then on Mass Effect. Um, if I don't know if you intend to do any writing on Mass Effect at this point, or you I don't, think we've covered it. I don't think I don't think I want to write anything. Um, unfortunately, I I feel like I got most of my thoughts out here, and just end up being a little bit more muddled okay. version of that. Maybe the blog. If you do have anything to add, I'd say you know as we put the blog post together on the site for this episode, we can maybe add it there and add some notes if you think of anything we didn't cover. So. We'll do that. Cool. Sounds well, good. Well, moving on then, I do want to thank everyone for listening. Um, please visit expositionbreak.com for our written content. Follow us on Twitter at Exposition Break. Send any questions or comments to podcast at expositionbreak.com. Um, if you have any thoughts on Mass Effect, um, any interesting stories on Mass Effect, any if you disagree with us completely on Mass Effect, please write in. We'd love to hear from you. Even if you discover this episode six months from now, please write in. Um, I'd love to hear thoughts on it. Uh, I w- it turns out the ending secretly the best ending of all video games. I would like. To hear I, I would why. love to hear that. Um, now, now I kind of want to dive into more youtube weird fan theories so we'll see if that happens but uh i want to thank icefields for the use of our theme music scenic route you can find his music on soundcloud and icefieldsmusic.com the exposition break podcast can be found on anchor pocket cast and stitcher it is also on google podcasts and will still hopefully soon be out on itunes we may have to check back into that here and find out what the holdup is but from what i've been he- hearing around the internets and other podcasts is everyone's having issues with itunes lately so we will see what happens there um and that's all i've got i'll catch you in a couple weeks then all right sounds good thanks for joining me thanks to all the listeners for joining and we will talk to you later